Coming up on this week's show, the cat is here to talk about her book, Under His Protection. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 184 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I am Will from willcanals.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek about what we have coming up for you next week. We hope everyone is having an enjoyable spring season. Uh, Most of you are most likely on spring break at the moment, so whether you're spending quality time with the family or... Uh, uh, snuggling up under, uh, well... You might still be snuggling under an afghan or something. Maybe, okay, maybe you're indoors snuggling, perhaps you're outdoors uh, on a beach blanket, uh, whatever your location, I hope you're enjoying a really great book. Yes, absolutely. We enjoyed a whole bunch of books this past weekend. We were at the LA Times Festival of Books, and we'll have a whole bunch of cool stuff to show you in next week's episode about that particular thing. Now, before we took off, we t- checked out the latest rage on Netflix called Unicorn Store, which is a delightful film uh, directed by Brie Larson, who, let's just face it, Brie's having quite the spring uh, between this film and uh, having Captain Marvel out in, in theaters. Uh, I don't really know what to make of this movie. It was A, it was all so sweet. It just made me so happy. <laughs> to watch it, uh, for starters. It's, here's my take on it, and then you can correct me where you think I go wrong here. I certainly will. <laughs> so, Brie is this artist who, nobody gets her art. Nobody at all gets her art, which I totally got it. It's beautiful, it's rainbowy and sparkly and unicorny and all that cool stuff. But she's finally beaten down by these people who don't want to get her art, and she goes... To, you know, goes into the workplace. It becomes this uh, temp worker at a PR agency who is tasked with trying to come up with a campaign for a vacuum. Now, I would totally buy the vacuums that Brie ends up and designs and pitches to the PR firm. At the same time, she gets these invitations to come to the store and meets up with a tremendously awesome Samuel L. Jackson, who decides that she can buy, she can get this unicorn um, if she does a whole bunch of things like proves that she has a place to put it and can financially take care of it, et cetera, et cetera. And so she works towards getting this unicorn. And along the way, she falls, I'm going to say she falls in love with the guy from the hardware store, uh, Virgil, who helps her to build her unicorn pen. Uh, I honestly don't know what I was supposed to take away from this film, but I <laughs> loved it so hard because it was so sweet and Brie... Really, her character was able to discover herself and what she was supposed to be doing. Now, what's your take on this? Because I just, I have so many thoughts and feelings, but I'm not articulating them well at all. I think Unicorn Store is actually an interesting, um, more modern take on the manic pixie dream girl trope that was so very popular a couple of years around uh, around like 2010 it was all the rage um the manic pixie dream girl is essentially personified by zoe dachanel sort of the wide-eyed innocent who is like so innocent and incapable of experiencing the world around her she needs a man to guide her and at first that when this trope started popping up uh, like an independent cinema. Um, it was cute and funny, but uh, it quickly became very obvious. It was wildly offensive. Um, <laughs> uh, but what this particular movie does is it sort of takes that type of character and kind of pushes it to the next level. Because Brie Larson's character is sort of a wide-eyed innocent, and she kind of lives in the dream world of her art. Um, But she's kind of miserable. Um, And she's an adult who 
isn't having much luck living out her childhood dreams. So she makes an effort to like go out into the real world and she gets that job, like you mentioned, at the PR firm. But all of a sudden, she's presented with this opportunity when she visits the store. And this opportunity presents itself for her childhood dreams to come true. Mm-hmm. And sort of it's really about that juxtaposition of like making the effort to have like a real life and a real job. And, you know, when you're sort of like your wildest desires are presented to you on like a silver platter. It's sort of like what what is she supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's essentially what the movie is about. Yeah. This um, is my husband doing summation much better than I am capable of. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I loved Brie Larson. I thought she was wonderful and charming and quirky and interesting in taking that particular um, manic pixie uh, trope in a interesting, more modern, realistic uh, direction. I also thought uh, Samuel L. Jackson was very funny as the salesman. Um, if you get a chance, give a Unicorn Store a try. It's available right now on Netflix. In the hockey player's heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knauss Hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart in ebook, paperback, or as an audiobook performed by me, Finn Sterling, wherever you buy books. So in book reviews this week, we kind of have a Dream Spun Desires double feature going on here. Uh, I picked up this week uh, Bad to the Bone by Nikki Bennett. Uh, this is one, I knew I wanted to dream spun desire because I was kind of in the mood for that kind of, you know, just the tropey goodness thing. Uh, and I read the, read the blurb was like, yes, this is the one that I want for this week. And it turned out to just be more than my expectations. Uh, I'm a sucker first off for second chance romance. And then you combine that with some friends to lovers. And this one even has a little bit of the redeemed bad boy trope going on in it as well. It was exactly the read that I needed. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Now, the story kicks off on the eve of a 10-year high school reunion taking place at a small Oklahoma town. Alex Morrison has been back in town for several years. He took over his family's hardware store when his parents needed him to like swoop in and make the business work. Uh, one afternoon, while he's working with his sister, they witness a motorcyclist pulled over, and it's soon revealed that the man is Alex's high school bestie, Ricky Lee Jennings. Alex hasn't heard from Ricky Lee since he was expelled and sent away to reform school. And this incident is something that Alex regretted because he didn't defend Ricky Lee and prevent the expulsion. But at the time, he was scared he'd lose his football scholarship if he did. Now, sparks fly at the reunion when Ricky Lee shows up without a ticket and Alex gets him in as his guest. And what unfolds over the coming weeks is the rekindling of far more than a friendship. Nikki does so much with this extremely simple setup. And both characters' complexity is what really made me fall in love with this book so much. Alex is someone who I, at the same time, wanted to give a big comforting hug to and also kick him in the butt. (laughs) Um, He does so much for the community that he lives in between serving on the library board, working for Habitat for Humanity, helping out with the high school reunion committee, and really anything else he can do to help his fellow citizens. Yet, all he could see in himself is a failure from his lost college football career because of an injury, a failed marriage, and he even views coming back to handle his family's business as a fail because he gave up his dreams on being an environmental lobbyist. Now, of course, what he's actually done here is what everybody does all the time, and that's making the, the best right decisions in the moment. But he can't see any of that, and that's kind of where he needs the kick in the butt. 
Uh, Ricky Lee, on the other hand, subverts every stereotype the town has thrown at him. Uh, it's awesome to watch people who believe that they know exactly who he is because of the boy he was when he left and his exterior appearance. Uh, they fail to see what he's become. And when all of that's revealed, it's amazing because he is now far from the young man who was abused by his alcoholic father and just really wanted to survive high school. As they both relive their high school times together and then share what they're doing now, Ricky Lee and Alex are drawn even more together. Now, Alex is sure that this really can't be more than a fling. He's scared of revealing himself as a bisexual to the town, and he's convinced that there's no way that Ricky Lee will move back to Oklahoma since he's got a successful life in Portland. Now, the wooing that Ricky Lee does with Alex is so outstanding. I mean, I love, I love a good date in a book. <laughs> and the date, their weekend trip to Oklahoma City was really even close to grand gesture levels of awesome, even though it's not the grand gesture in the book. Uh, these two, they go stay at a boutique hotel. They go to art museums at the Botanical Gardens. They eat some delicious food. And let's just say that the sizzling sex that's in here on that date made everything all the hotter. And it really showed Alex in vivid detail what life could be like if he decided to make a go of it with Ricky Lee. Now, the other thing that Nikki puts into this book is the town itself. Uh, in particular, I have to say that I like the local pastor, who is nothing like what you might expect a Southern pastor to be. He, he instantly turned into one of my favorite characters. Uh, and he's one of Alex's biggest supporters in Alex figuring out how to be true to himself and really not kicking himself so much because he's just, he's not the failure that he perceives. Uh, we also get a big look at Alex's work with the library, which is a central subplot for the story since Alex and Ricky Lee's high school nemesis, Odell, wants to expand his car dealership by buying the land the library sits on. Now, the goings on with Odell took some wonderful turns that I really couldn't have predicted. And I really might have cheered just a little bit when everything was revealed. And hey, spoiler alert, Odell gets his in the end. And it's really a great ending for a high school bully, what went down in this book. Uh, there's a tremendous cast of supporting characters, too. Uh, Alex's sister, Alana, along with Alex's best friend, who's a local police officer, uh, Samantha, or just Sam, as she's known by so much in the book, both nudge him in the right direction and actually give him that kick in the butt that he needs. Uh, Ricky Lee comes to town with Cray, uh, who he introduces as his friend and assistant, although many initially think that those two are in a relationship. I actually wish Cray had more screen time in the book, as they were a fascinating character. Cray and Sam develop a friendship that might actually be more, and I would love to see a book that explores that uh, in more detail. There are also some townsfolk who have interesting reveals to Alex along the way that were incredibly sweet. And if audio is your thing, you really need to pick this one up in that format. Uh, Colin Darcy is a new-to-me narrator, and boy, did he make me swoon with the voice for Ricky Lee. It had such a deep, rumbly sexiness the whole time. I was like, oh my God, I could listen to something in that voice read to me all the time. So if you're looking for a great category romance with some tropey goodness, I highly recommend Nikki Bennett's Bad to the Bone. Now... You read the book that is the subject of our interview this week, because you picked up Laquette's book. Mm -hmm. um, this past week, I uh, thumbed my way through Under His Protection, um, and I've spoken of this book in the past, a couple of weeks ago, when we were doing our uh, look forward to books coming out this spring. And I've already expressed my eagerness for this book uh, because the moment I read the blurb, it was like, uh, this is it. This is like <laughs> written, you know, precisely for me. This is everything I wanted. And needless to say, I was not disappointed. Um, so now I'm going to attempt to put all of my uh, thoughts and feelings uh, about this book into review. It's going to be difficult. I mean, I do have some notes in front of me right now, but um, I finished it like a, a day or so ago. Uh, and I'm still sort of like, you know, experiencing all the feels and all the <laughs> missions and all the great stuff that went on in this book. 
basking in the awesomeness. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, book hangover. That's what I've got at the moment. So, okay. This book literally starts with a bang when one of our main characters, Camden, uh, he's the assistant DA, is he's nearly blown up by a car bomb. Um, so in order to keep him safe, he is put in protective police custody. Uh, unfortunately, the man watching over him is the memorable one-night stand he walked away from five years ago, a guy named Elijah. So sequestered away in Elijah's Westchester house, our two heroes must like come to grips with the attraction that still, you know, after all this time is still like really like sizzling. It is like totally there. Um, and as things start to become more romantic, the situation becomes even more complicated when Elijah family, his family shows up for a weekend visit. Oh, no. Now, they assume that the two of them are a couple and Cam and Elijah play along since it's too dangerous to explain why Elijah is hiding out at Cam's house. Um, and over the course of the weekend, Cam can't help but fall for Elijah the man and his like wonderful wacky crazy family um oh gosh this is so <laughs> this book is so damn good um what I think uh, one of the things that Laquette um excels at is taking the standard trope of I'm gonna call it real-time storytelling um, because I don't know what else to call it it's when the story thread essentially follows from point a to point b and we see everything uh in between so essentially um a large chunk of this book takes place over the course of three days oh wow okay um and we get you know um uh, point of view that goes back and forth between Elijah and Cam uh, and we see you know everything that they experience so that there are some people who might say you know it's not you know it's insta love they can't fall in love over three days but when we experience the entirety of that three days it makes perfect sense it's like of course they're in love because we've been there the entire time you know going through you know all of the conversations um, all of the uh, family stuff all the weird like card playing there's this <laughs> um elijah's family really really loves to play cards uh and so um cam kind of whims them over that way um also um you think things might get a little too close for comfort with you know our two heroes and the family all in one house um elijah actually has a very small um uh, apartment in his garage his attached garage so they escape uh, every <laughs> once in a while um and have some truly super duper scorching sex um the the chemistry between these characters is like very real and very palatable um so it's really amazing so <laughs> so as this weekend winds up um there's unfortunately a kidnapping attempt um by this crazy religious cult group um but that ends up like being the least of their worries um our two heroes uh come through uh and cam uh ends up uh sacrificing himself in order to save elijah's mom and he ends up in the hospital uh, and unfortunately, um, Camden's father, who is a total dick, um, uh, <laughs> arrives on the scene. Um, so, like, the, the cult group and all of the stuff that goes down with that, that is, like, the least of our hero's problems when uh, Camden's family comes into the picture. Um, Camden's, Camden's life is essentially being controlled uh, by his father. He's a district court judge and he's had his son's life you know uh, pla planned out from like birth to death um and essentially that's how cam has lived his entire life is it's like the expectations of his father and that's actually part of the reason why he walked away from elijah five years previously it's because you know having a sexy one night fling and you know living a life with an average in quotes um, guy like Elijah just wasn't in the plan. Mm. Uh, but now he decides, you know, after the taste of the 
possibility of loving a man like Elijah and having a genuine, fun, and fulfilling family life with Elijah's family, he realizes what's actually genuinely possible. And he tries to stand up to his father, uh, but uh, Cam's father is a horrible, controlling douchebag, and he puts the stops on everything. Uh, some genuinely like insurmountable roadblocks and like even though this is a romance and we know our heroes are going to end up together um it's like holy crap how are they going to get out of this it's like impossible um so they have to deal with that um and what i really like about what um laquette has created is is like not only are our two heroes you know you know charismatic and sexy they're also really super smart so with the help of elijah's uh police chief friend uh cam finally finds a way to outwit his father and like get out from under his thumb so um he and uh, Elijah can live happily ever after. A uh, quick note, I really enjoyed not only our two main heroes, I mean, that's a given in a romance. I thought they were really well-drawn and interesting, compelling, uh, uh, amazing guys. I think the author has done an exceptional job with the supporting cast. I think that's a common refrain when we review books. Mm-hmm. It's like not only are the main characters interesting, the world and the people that they also, you know, hang out with and, and, and you know, that sort of thing, they're also compelling as well. And it just helps make the story, you know, deeper and richer. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think that is the case with this particular book. Not only is Elijah's family, you know, hilarious and like wonderful and like genuinely concerned with you know elijah and cam's relationship um a seemingly like inconsequential secondary character like elijah's police chief um she kind of appears at the beginning of the book to like set up the initial romantic situation between our two main characters but then she returns at the end um and we really kind of get a better idea of uh, her relationship with Elijah like not only are they colleagues they're also really close very good friends and sh- it's um her kind of expertise in sort of the sort of uh, office politics of uh police work and the law that helps uh Cam deal with his father um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can ever adequately find the correct words or enough adjectives <laughs> to, um, tell you how much I loved Cam and Elijah's story. Um, it's just really damn good. It's like one of those things, it's like when you, uh, see two people and it's like, you know immediately obvious that they were like meant to be together i mean when you read this book it's like that's how i feel about elijah and cam it's like that's what is supposed to be that's how it's that's how that's how that was supposed to end up it's like totally obvious so i of course um i i hope it's obvious i've (laughs) really really enjoyed under his protection by laquette and i highly recommend it Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So this past week, we both got to sit down with the cat and find out all about Under His Protection. We are so pleased to welcome Laquette to the show. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I just spent several minutes um, <laughs> praising uh, and telling the entire world how much I loved Under His Protection. Now, you've been writing for a while now, and I freely admit this is the very first book of yours that I have read. And I went absolutely bonkers for it. I love it to pieces. Can you Aww, give us? Thank you. Can you give us a sort of a uh, an idea of where the concept for under his protection came from? Um, well, I I was encouraged by Kate McMurray to write a 
to submit a dreams and desires um, concept. And I kind of read the uh, submission guideline and I really didn't think that the category section was for me because I'm long winded in my writing and there's this, you know, 50,000 word count. And I didn't know that I could meet that and make the story make sense. But um, I just felt like, you know, I, I there's a lot of angst in my writing and a lot of heavy topics sometimes. And I didn't, you know, category is very can be light and, and, you know, not, it doesn't have so much angst to it. So I wasn't sure it was actually the right fit for me, but she encouraged me to do it anyway. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, it has to be like Laquette style. It can't be, you know, the, the traditional map of a a category. I got to throw, you know, everything but the kitchen sink in it. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and I, I had this sort of like this prince and pauper sort of situation in my head, but in Brooklyn, (laughs) <laughs> and um, it it worked out really well in my head anyway. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the idea of Camden coming from this really, really posh existence and then clashing with Elijah and his very loud and boisterous family. And um, I think putting those two together, those two people together and those two, you know, with their backgrounds and differences in their backgrounds and the differences in their you know, perspectives in life, it really, it just made for a richer experience for me as a writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I utterly fell in love with Camden and Elijah. I think they're two uh, incredibly, they're ex- exceptional heroes. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're part of what makes this book really sing. But as I mentioned in my review just a few minutes ago, um, part of what I think what makes the story uh compelling and even more enjoyable is the uh, sort of supporting cast that helps them along in their journey yeah. towards saying <laughs> I love you. Um, Elijah's family is amazing, every single one of them. Um, but I was particularly struck by um, one of Elijah's co-workers, the police chief, um, mm-hmm. who um, is his best friend, uh, along with his, as you know, being a, a colleague. And what I was struck by is that at the beginning of the book, the character seemed, you know, pretty, you know, straightforward. It was a secondary character, and uh, she was there to kind of like, you know, get the story moving along. But as we read further and and get to know uh, Camden and Elijah more and more, um, she becomes a, a much more integral part of the story. Uh, and in fact, she's uh, pretty vital to the solution that Cam uh, comes up towards the end. Um, and I was really surprised to read in um, an interview, uh, just I think this last week uh, it appeared online, uh, I learned that one of the reasons that this secondary character um, is so uh, well drawn is because <laughs> she has actually already had her own book. She's um, had three books, actually. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us, uh, real quickly for our listeners, can you tell us about the origin of this particular character and why you thought... Um, she would be such a good fit uh, for Camden and Elijah's story. Um, Hart Sealington, Captain Hart Sealington is a um, character from my Queens of Kings series, Mm -hmm. which is all um, heroin centered. And um, she is this, you know, her name is Hart for a reason because she has a huge heart, even though she's really carries it under this gruff exterior. Um, she's a badass. She's all about getting work done. And if you ever get the chance to read her books, you know, she's really out there hands-on in the street. Um, and I felt like Elijah would need someone like that professionally, personally to kind of, to get him to the place where he could admit his flaws. Someone that's not, you know, he's a very, he's a large man. He's, he's aggressive. He's, you know, he carries a gun, so he could be a little bit intimidating for the average person. But for her, she's not afraid to tell him like it is to his face. And, you know, when you have that kind of a personality where people might not tell you the truth because they find you imposing, having someone who will speak the truth to you regardless of whatever the situation is can be vital to you, you know, making the right choices in life. And I felt like having her there would give him that balance because he needed some really cold truths told to him uh, for him to get his head together and do what he needed to do. 
Was it always your intention to have the character crossover or did that just kind of manifest itself? The precinct that they work at is sort of anytime I have a police situation, those cops show up in a book somewhere. So um, one, because they're, you know, the, the, the world is already created. So it's kind of easy for me to draw from that, um, that precinct. But it's also because my readers absolutely adore this woman. And so they're always asking for her. And this was an opportunity for her to show up and say hi, and not in a way that overshadows, you know, the, the main story, which is Camden and Elijah, but just enough to make readers go, oh, my God, she's here. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to get those universe crossovers and, and <laughs> little Easter eggs like that, for sure. It's true. It's, it's very true. Yeah. Now, Under His Protection is not your first M.M. romance. Um, no, it is not. There's also a Love Changes, which I believe came out in 2016. Yes. And um, I wanted to ask you, what um, what drew you to writing in this specific subgenre? I mean, along with all of your other books that are um, more traditional um, male-female romances. Well, um, one, I wholeheartedly believe that everyone deserves a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I wrote... Um, the Queens of King series, I always knew that Hart's cousin, because um, the the characters, the protagonist in Love's Changes are Brian, who is Hart, one of Hart's um, lieutenants. You met him actually in Under His Protection, um, and her cousin, Justice. And so uh, they get to have their own story. You get to see them a little bit in the um, Queens of King series, but they're more background. We know that they were having a hard time and they were broken up for some reason, but we don't know why. So they get, you know, readers, which really surprised me because I didn't really believe that there was a lot of crossover between male female readers and male male readers. Um, but people really asked me for a story for those two. Like, when are we going to get Jesse and Brian's story? We want to know what happens to them and how they get back together. And so I, that story was actually born out of the fact that readers requested it. And so I gave it to them. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always nice to see as the, the MF readers catch the, the male-male pairings and then want to know more. Yes. It was, it was, it was really a trip for me. I, I did not believe that they would want it at all. But it was very touching to write their story. I was very happy with um, how the story turned out. I was very happy with the fact that they get their, their happily ever after. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not, it's connected to the Queens of King series, but it's not really part of it. So the mm-hmm. story kind of takes place outside of everything that's going on in that particular story. Do you envision more? I guess, Dreamspun Desires books that happen in the universe you've created with everything that's going on so far? I, I really didn't, but I've been getting a lot of mail recently about this book and, you know, people wanting to know what happens after this. They want to see how Camden's family kind of blends with Elijah's family and how that's going to work. I'm like, dude, I'm not there. Like, I've had so many other projects. <laughs> I can't. Can't right now, but we'll come back to that maybe. (laughs) And just based on your review, I don't see how those families mesh. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Two different worlds, most definitely. Yeah, they really are. (laughs) Now, one of the things that I'm super excited about, having recently read about, is your new contract with Dream Spinner for Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat. So. when stuff makes me mad, it also makes me really productive. <laughs> so um, I was really kind of getting tired of hearing uh, the the not historically accurate um, moniker criticism given to um, given to uh, African American romance, especially historical African American romance, um, and it just bothered me because it's not that those happily ever afters weren't possible. It's just people aren't really aware of the history and the the completed history. So a lot of things, you know, a lot of people who think they know about African-American history, the only thing they know is slavery and Jim Crow, and that's it. And, you know, black people have been downtrodden since we were brought to this country. But that's not exactly the truth, because even even in all of the horror, there were still moments of 
triumph. And we didn't just, you know, survive. We thrived. We're still here. The proof that we're still here, you know, the proof that we had happiness at some point is that we're still here. So I decided I wanted to write about a time that was um, where to be to be black and to be gay wasn't something that you had to hide from the world. It wasn't something you had to, um, you, you had your own pocket of community. You, you, it was, there was a celebration of it. And I, I wanted to speak to that. I wanted people to know that there, these two intersections of life existed um, with happy endings. And this series in particular, I, is going to go to such an interesting time period in the U S when all of the Harlem Renaissance was happening. Yeah. So it's based, it's based on three actual people who lived during the Harlem Renaissance. So it's based on Bumpy Johnson, who was the godfather of Harlem for 30 years. Um, it's based on, um, Langston Hughes, who was a great, uh, contributor to the Harlem Renaissance as a poet and writer. And it's also based on Cab Calloway, who was um, sort of one of the most notable faces in jazz and jazz music and jazz performance at the Cotton Club. So uh, we're going to see, not that we won't be using their names, but those characters will be based off of those actual people. Yeah, because I think it was like mere moments after I finished reading under his protection i i read about this harlem renaissance series that you were doing and i like lost my mind i was like totally doing a happy dance this is going to be so amazing um i know this is like you know still far in the future but when do you think we can expect this series <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that is the god's honest truth i'm i'm actually currently writing uh finishing up a series for source books okay. um and so harlem heat doesn't i i don't i'm not i don't think i'm projected to start it until like the end of the year um so i don't know exactly when it's going to be ready but mm -hmm. i mean you know ready for the world anyway but uh, I think I can talk to someone about getting you a beta rate, a, a copy for beta reading, if you'd like. Please do, yes. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. I imagine the research for that got to be a lot of fun to look at oh, that period in history is. and figure out what parts you want to take and use. It is. I mean, I was very fortunate when I was in college, when I did my undergrad in creative writing, I was very... Um, very fortunate to have a professor who thought outside of the box and he taught a class on the Harlem Renaissance that was amazing I mean it was so rich and filled with culture and um, you know not just the usual things that we see in mainstream um, history but you know getting really down to the nitty-gritty of it and you know showing you to I'm sure that when you when you guys as gay men look at the history of the LGBT community and you get to see it unfold. There's such a, a moment of connection there. And it's the same thing for black people when we're seeing, when we're getting to experience our history because we don't often get to see it through mainstream lens. Mm -hmm. um, and so to see it and to see it, the, the information dispensed in a way that's positive and celebratory and uplifting it it changes your whole perception of yourself, of who you are and where you came from. And so I'm very, I'm delighted to be able to dig back into that. I have um, Piper Hughley, who is a history, history professor at Spelman College, I believe. I, I believe it's Spelman. Um, and she is, she's also a romance writer and she's, brilliant <laughs> and so she helps me with a great deal with telling me what books i need to read for this period um and where i need to look for information but it's so much fun it, it really is so much fun mm -hmm. that's amazing let's talk origin story for a minute mm -hmm. how how did you get started writing romance what 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 <laughs> led you down this path um i didn't see me on the page um, I, I started reading romance when I was about 16 years old, um, way too young to be reading some of the stuff I was reading, but you know, Hey, um, <laughs> and, um, by the time I was about 18, I probably went through every, uh, presents Harlequin presents that, um, my life, my local library had mm. and every romance novel I read, it was 
never about a girl that looked like me, never about places where I lived. So um, kind of pulled me out of the romance reading for a while because I, it was nice to read about those, those stories, but there was just something missing for me after a while. And I, I probably at the time didn't recognize that I was internalizing that these stories were basically saying romance isn't for you. You don't look like this. You don't fit this mold. So romance isn't for you. Um, and I kind of just pulled away from it. And I think after I finished my undergrad, I just wanted to relax and have some fun. And I kind of got back into it. And at the time I discovered, um, that black romance was a thing. And I discovered people like Rochelle Allers and, um, Brenda Jackson and Zane. And I'm like, wow, like it, it became exciting again. It was refreshing. It was new and yet still very familiar because I could see myself and, and all of the antics that were going on in the stories. I, I could see myself in those characters. Uh, and so I decided I wanted to do that. I wanted to create those spaces, create more stories like that so people could have those connections and reality, you know, reactions when they opened up a book and saw themselves. Mm -hmm. Now that you are writing, what do you think the trademarks of your books are? <laughs> Um, I, I do sex and snark really well. Like I do <laughs> sarcasm really well because that's my language. <laughs> like it really is my language. And, and um, sex, yeah. That's, so if you're going to pick up a Laquette book, you're going to get lots of sex and lots of sarcasm. <laughs> Did she meet those two in your book? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, just before we started this interview, we were talking about the possibilities of an audiobook for Under His Protection. And I, whatever narrator lands this job is going to, uh, number one, have the time of their life because uh, Camden and Elijah are um, very, the, the banter is very smart and very witty. Um, but also, as you say, the sex scenes are... Uh, um, what's I don't know I'm not even sure what the correct adjective is it's smoking hot um yeah you're gonna you're gonna need a nice cool beverage after uh, you listen to those scenes for sure I don't know that I could listen to that like, I don't know that I could it would be so weird for me I don't know I mean I know I wrote the words but exactly it, yeah. to, to hear them aloud I don't know that I could do that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, you know, many authors can't listen to their own audiobooks, so. <laughs> Especially that, those parts. Like I said, I, I do sex in a, Amy Lane told me, she was like, you write sex in such a beautiful, concrete way. Like, I, I just want to have all the sex when I read your books. And I'm like, Amy, that is the sweetest and weirdest thing that anyone has ever said to me. And I love you for it. <laughs> that almost should be a blurb on the book cover. I think, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Are there any anything you're reading right now that you want to shout out to people? Is like a, a book to to grab? Uh, I'm reading uh, a few books. Uh, so I just finished um, Adriana Herrera's um, the third book in in this Dreamer series, and I can't remember the title because it's not actually out yet. Mm -hmm. I beta read for her, and it is fantastic. I mean, book one is great, and I love it. It was so. Um, it was so real to me that literally I had to drive like two to three miles from my house just to go get Dominican food <laughs> because I was so hungry after reading book one. Exactly. And yes. yeah. book, book three does the same thing. There's lots of cultural food. Um, and it's just and it's a part it's part of the tapestry of how these two people connect and share their backgrounds, their experiences, their worldviews. It's it, not to mention, she's so good at, uh, at writing books that are socially conscious without making you feel like you're being talked down to or preached at. And I love her for that, for being able, I don't know that I could do that the way she does it. She's so talented. And I'm also reading, uh, I I'm halfway through, um, I, I stumble with her name because I know her as Blue Sapphire, but she's now writing um, as Royal Blue uh, oh, for yeah. June Spinner. I've, I've heard of Kyle's this book, yeah. And I'm halfway through it, and, it, you know, she's, she's fire. Like, she writes hot books. 
So I'm really excited. I can't wait to get to the end of this book. <laughs> what, what was the name of that book again? Kyle's Reveal. Okay. And that's the, um, uh, please, please remind, it's the basketball book. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, it, I yes. mean, it's a, it's kind of dark because the, um, protagonists have like a really dark traumatic history, mm-hmm. but, um, it, it's definitely deep and I'm loving it. So I'm really, 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 uh, interested in getting to the end to see if I could just get a minute to stop writing and finish <laughs> it. I'd be great. Awesome. It's such a hard thing balancing. I want to finish it this is. book. And then there's like, I don't want to read it too fast. Exactly. <laughs> finding that balance. It's true. Are there tropes or genres that you want to tackle that you just haven't yet in your own writing? Um, I don't know that there are any tropes that, cause I kind of, I throw a lot of different tropes in my books. Um, like under his protection has second chance romance. It also has proximity. It also has, um, sort of kind of enemies to lovers the way Elijah and Camden start out in the book. Um, and it could sort of kind of be considered like a workplace romance, being that they're both involved in law, different ang- different sides of law enforcement. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've done Secret Baby before, and I love that. That was really fun. Um, and I've done... The only thing I haven't done is like May-December romances. So um, I think maybe that might be something I might want to try. Cool. I would read that. I love a good May, December. Absolutely. <laughs> so beyond the writing, which obviously takes up a lot of time, you also are the president of RWA NYC. So the New York I City am. chapter of Romance Writers of America. Tell folks what that entails and, and what actually led you to running for office. Um, I didn't want to run. I had no intention of running because I have a lot of stuff to do (laughs) and it it takes time away from the things that I'm contracted to do. But um, one of the things that's very important in um, romance that's happening right now is the fact that romance is can be a very whitewashed world, meaning the the protagonists that we see, the authors that get the most opportunities are white authors and white characters. And so if you're not white and straight characters, and if you're not writing that, it's difficult to get into the door. It's difficult to find the same resources, the same backing. It's almost impossible to get contracts. Um, And so I ran for president of RWA NYC because I wanted in some way to help change that landscape, to do some of the work necessary with publishers to try to change that. And um, it's it's a heavy task. It's a heavy burden, especially when we get, um, you know, the, over the last couple of weeks, we are still reeling from the Rita Awards, which is basically like the Grammys for um, romance. And every year, it's the same thing. It's a very, very white landscape and very few authors of color are made finalists. No black woman has ever won a Rita in the 30 years that this award award has been uh, established. And people do a lot of mental acrobatics to justify why that is. So, oh, maybe the writing's just not that good. Maybe that's why we've never had a Black Rita Award winner. Um, maybe Black authors are not entering. You know, these are all sort of questions that are ridiculous because statistically it's just impossible that no Black woman would ever have won in 30 years. <laughs> it's just impossible. And the reason it is is because the judging pool, there, there's a bias there with in terms of black women and black characters, not just black authors, but black characters, because you can not know who the author is, but you cannot, well, I don't write, I don't write characters who are racially ambiguous. I'm proud of my blackness and my characters are as well. Um, and so I don't try to hide that or trick people into reading my books or make it so difficult for people to recognize who a person is or what their background is, um, because I feel like that is, a, that is an important thing. 
Um, in real life, we don't really get to not know who people are by looking at them. So I, I don't do it in my books. And because of that, it's very difficult when you know going into this, I'm going to submit this book and it's not going to final. Not because it's a poorly written book. Not because I didn't do everything I could to make this book as good as it could be. But simply because my characters, especially my heroines, are black. And that is just something that the judging pool cannot handle as of yet. So my work as president is a lot of champion, you know, being the champion for this cause and taking on this battle because it's not just about me succeeding. It's about any black author who is writing black characters having the ability to write and be supported by the industry. And if I can make any sort of headway in that, and if I can help anyone along the way, I'll feel like I've done something positive with my life. Mm -hmm. You, with books like yours and with um, Adriana Herrera, who you mentioned not too uh, long ago, um, do you think it's really just a matter of representation that can help um, build awareness for diversity in romance? Or is there something else that readers specifically should be doing or asking for? Well, specifically, yeah. I mean, readers have a lot of power. So if you're asking publishers, mm -hmm. why, you know, why don't we have more diverse romance? Why don't we have romance where, you know, that, that shows basically the colors of the rainbow and, and, all, and all, those, all those brilliant facets of intersectionality in life, like why don't we have that? Because those bu your buying dollars is what demands, what makes the demand. Because publishers will say, we don't sell that. We don't, we don't contract black books because they don't sell. Um, one of the things we discussed at Dream Spinner was um, the cover. That was an intentional choice. Um, I was very clear with them when we sat down and talked about this project that Elijah needed to be on the cover. I would not subscribe to the ideology that a black man on a cover can't sell. And there are, I mean, we've seen in our community, in our writing community, that some publishing houses have actually made this statement. Um, I don't subscribe to that. So we talked about it. And, and we talked about the fact that re readership sometimes can have a bias. And sometimes they won't. Um, engage with a book if they feel like the person is the wrong color or wrong background. And I said, I understand that, but we're still going to work, you know, to work with me, this is how we're going to work. And they were, they were in agreement. I didn't have to convince them. I went in prepared to battle. <laughs> and it was like, listen, I really need this guy to be black and I really need him to look like this. And they were like, we agree. <laughs> we agree. So we need more of that in the industry and it starts with readers. It also starts with um, the gatekeepers, people reaching out and specifically looking for these things. Uh, it also, people who are gatekeepers also need to check themselves. So when you're reading a book and you're saying, I can't connect to it, I didn't relate to it, why aren't you relating to it? Is it that it's a poorly written book? I've gotten rejection letters that literally said, this is a really well-written book but I didn't relate to the character, so I'm not going to buy it. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? So what was it that you didn't relate to? If you could see that it was a really well-written book, I mean, if it's that good, why not work with me in terms of editing to kind of get things right, you know, to where it would be something that you feel is that you could sell. But a lot of publishing houses out there don't have that mentality. And it's, it's this sort of it's insidious. It's not something, you know, you can actually like look and see. Some people don't even notice it. They just think, oh, I don't read those kinds of books because I don't like them. And it's not that they don't like them. It's that they're not actually giving them the opportunity to be great. So that is obviously great words for the readers. Kind of spinning it back to your, your RWA role. Uh -huh. You're in such a diverse chapter there because you're in NYC yeah how are how how are the authors in that particular region kind of you know, banding together to like help rwa move past the issues oh um well a lot of my 
recent successes because, you know, allies, colleagues like Kate, Kate McMurray and Terry Michaels were like, listen, um, you're fabulous and we want you to meet people who will also think you're fabulous, so come here. Um, and that's part of the beauty of RWA and that's why I fight so hard for diversity and inclusion within RWA because my success, as I said, my recent success has all been attached to people pushing me in different directions to say this is where you need to be, this is a person you need to, to meet. Um, and if you're not a part of the organization, you can't make those connections. You And, and networking connections will get you <laughs> further than anything you know, you know right? Mm-hmm. So um, it, when, we, when we cut off authors of color from that source, from the resources, from the, 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 con- the networking connections and the opportunities that are presented to people who are part of the organization, what we're doing is we're disconnecting them from publishing. And we're forcing them to be indie. And this is not an indie versus trad conversation. This is a, some people cannot be anything other than indie because trad will not give them the opportunity. They've been completely marginalized. And so that should not be, people should be able to publish however they choose to, whether they opt to be an indie author or whether they decide that the trad route is for them because, you know, different strokes for different folks. It is different, you know, depending on what your lifestyle is like. I, I have crazy children and I have to juggle being a mom, a writer and everything else and try to keep sane. Being an indie author is a lot of work. It's a lot of of effort on your end to make a book successful. I don't have that kind of time in my life or that kind of energy, honestly. (laughs) So being a trad author is a much better avenue for me and my situation. And if if that is the only way that I can publish, but publishing will not give me the opportunities, then it's, you know, I'm losing out. And that's, that's the purpose of RWA, to sort of bridge those gaps. But I don't think um, we're exactly where we need to be yet. So we're still working on it. Yeah, definitely. We very much appreciate your efforts towards that, for sure. <laughs> now, the Romance Writers of America uh, National Conference is going to be in NYC this summer. Absolutely. And I, I, I expect you're going to be there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're actually making the trip for the first time this year as well. Yes. So hopefully, I know it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy busy, but hopefully we're going to get a chance to say hi in person. Absolutely. (laughs) For sure. Now, we talked about Harlem Heat. You mentioned a couple other things. What is on your docket for the rest of this year for releases? Um. I don't think I have any other releases for this year because I'm writing. So okay. I've, I've been very blessed in that I have landed these two major contracts with Sourcebooks and with Dream Spinner, uh, both for series. So uh, I'm halfway through Sources Books, and I need to start on Dream Spinners toward the end of the year. So there won't be any more releases from me. I mean, if I if I get a moment where I'm you know feeling really creative i might try to get a novella together (laughs) but i'm not making any promises (laughs) all right so we'll look for a lot more in 2020 (laughs) yes 2020 is is definitely the first book for source comes out in 2020 i'm i don't know i don't have a release date yet i have delivery dates for dream spinner but i don't have a release dates yet so i'm thinking probably sometime toward the end of 2020 possibly or maybe the beginning of 2021 all right. Well, when, when Harlem Heat comes out, you definitely have an invitation to come back and talk. <laughs> well, yay! For thank sure. you. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's the best way for everybody to keep up with you online? Oh, so you can find me on Facebook. Um, at You can go to my Facebook page, Laquette the Author. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Laquette Writes. Um, or you can find me on Instagram at La underscore Quet. Um, or you can email me at laquette at laquette.com, or you can go to my website, laquette.com. 
fantastic. She is well branded. <laughs> yes. Everything is the same. Most definitely. <laughs> well, Laquette, it was a genuine honor to have you on the show today. We're so glad oh, thank that you. you could take some time out of your extremely busy schedule <laughs> and you could come talk to us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I mean, I'm so, I was so excited and a little bit nervous also <laughs> to come on and talk to you guys because I've seen the show before. And I'm like, yay, I get to go hang out with them. I feel special. <laughs> well, it was a genuine pleasure. We're so glad that you came. Thank you so very much for having me. Thanks once again to Laquette for coming to talk to us about not only under his protection, but with what she's got coming up in the future as well. Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder before we leave you. Did you know that you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon? The additional support of our superfans helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. Now, joining is easy, and you'll get special access to monthly bonus episodes, the opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests, and lots more. So for all the details, simply go to patreon.com slash Podcast. Now, coming up next week, we'll have interviews that we did during the L.A. Times Festival of Books. So I hope you'll tune in to see who we talk to. Yeah, it's going to be, I think we're going to have some super good stuff there. So, yeah, join us next week for that. Yeah, guys. So remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.